Welcome to Speaking of Money with FCE Group. This is Fred Sloan, and with me today is Nelson Braff, co-founder and an owner of the Hunt and Fish Club, fine restaurant in New York City. We're speaking to Nelson at the restaurant. Nelson, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so Nelson, uh, by way of background, uh, the Hunt and Fish Club was founded, we understand, in 2013 by uh, the restaurateur Eton Sugarman, yourself, Nelson Braff, and Anthony Scaramucci, founder of Skybridge Capital. How did the three of you come together to start this thing up? Actually, there was a fourth person named Dave Barrett. Dave Barrett had an idea of a restaurant that he wanted to do or a lounge that he mm-hmm. wanted to do in the, in the Midtown area. Um, he brought to our attention that much of the finance community post 9-11 had moved from the Wall Street area into Midtown and that there were no equivalents to say a Harry's or a Delmonico's in the Midtown area and he wanted to create a lounge for that purpose. He approached uh, my partner Eitan Sugarman and I, I told him I wasn't really interested in doing a lounge, I would be interested in doing a full restaurant. I'm also a finance guy and I was very very much aware of the issue he was talking about, that there was no go-to restaurants for the industry in Midtown. There were restaurants the industry went to out of geographic convenience, but not go-to restaurants. So we started that project. I recruited an old friend of mine, Anthony Scaramucci. Turned out Dave Barrett and he had known each other for many, many years and had done business together. Hadn't actually spoken to each other in some time for no real reason, but that they knew each other. So it was actually the four of us that came up with this concept. Um, We knew of the actual location because Eitan and I had looked at this space for a different concept that we own, Southern Hospitality Barbecue. At the time, it didn't make sense for various reasons for the barbecue, but it had sort of been on our radar since then. And and then when we decided we were going to look for spaces to do the this project, the timing worked out such that the then occupant of the space approached us again to see if we were still interested. So that's how this all came about. And tell us about the name. Why uh, is the word club included in the name? What were you trying to convey with that? Nothing. (laughs) I actually didn't like the name. Um, My partner, Eitan, came up with the name not exactly sure what it meant at the time. I thought it had too many words. It made no sense to me whatsoever. I was in the middle of finishing up our PPM and um, to raise money to do this project. So I put that name in as a placeholder with a caveat that the name would likely change. Anthony Scaramucci at the time decided to go on CNBC one evening. I was home watching it. And he all of a sudden started talking about the Hunt and Fish Club. We had not yet even fully negotiated our lease, let alone committed to a name. But as of that moment, and I saw my name in lights, he put up the the main people's names that this is the group that's going to be uh, owning and operating this Hunt and Fish Club, and it's going to be at this location. Ended up, we did sign the lease, and um, after that I was sort of stuck with the name. The club concept was intended to represent clubhouse feel, not a club with a membership, but more of a clubhouse feel where if you came in by yourself, you were likely to know people already there. Much like in Wall Street days, you'd go down to the bar at Delmonico or Harry's and after market close, and chances are you would know somebody there. But it was meant to represent clubhouse 
not anything elitist club feel. Mm. And uh, so that's interesting, finding out how the name came about. I mean, the fact is the restaurant has attracted quite a bit of cachet since it's been open, since it's been in operation. And actually, yeah. uh, we know that some pretty notable, uh, well-known guests have come into the restaurant. Could you talk about that a little bit? I mean, who are some of the personalities that have come in? And uh, any, any names we could recognize? Because I oh, think there might there, be. Um, I could probably give you a list of about 100 names you could recognize. As late as last night, Gloria Steinem came in, which I thought was pretty cool, mm -hmm. actually. Sitting a table away from my house guest, Daryl Strawberry, which is kind of neat. People made a point of that's an interesting combination, seated about 10 feet apart. Um, we've, we get a, I won't say a celebrity clientele. We're not a celebrity restaurant. We're a restaurant that celebrities are comfortable going to. Um, they politically, we've had Mike Pence. We've had a really cool fundraising event with Tony Blair. He was a wonderful guy. Wow. I liked him a lot. Um, I, a few, a couple of months ago met, uh, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson here. I've known Al Sharpton on and off for a long time. Never met Jesse Jackson. Ended up speaking with him. The next day, he asked me to have lunch with him. And I sat and had lunch with Jesse Jackson for two hours. That was one of my cooler experiences here. Fascinating. Yeah. And sports. Derek Jeter is a regular here. Obviously, Daryl Strawberry, who I just mentioned. Michael Jordan has been here. Gerard Piquet, who's married to Shakira. And some other soccer players who they tell me are really big deals, but frankly, I don't know one from another. Um, obviously, the, in the world of finance, uh, Anthony Scaramucci attracts a lot of people from General Petraeus to Steve Cohn and anything mm -hmm. in between. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we've had a lot of pretty recognizable people. And uh, the other night, last night, uh, David Foster and Catherine McPhee were in here. Right, so and, I, and I seem to remember seeing the restaurant on uh, on a TV show once or billions. twice. Billions. Yes. We've been on Billions. We've been on The Kardashians. We've been on Housewives. Uh -huh. But I like to talk about Billions. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, uh, and speaking also about the restaurant, um, what would you say the best one or two dishes are, your favorite dishes, and also what could someone expect to spend uh, for a nice uh, dinner for two at the Hunting Fish well, Club? To ask what the best dishes are, you're now speaking to a Jewish guy who keeps kosher. So I'm perhaps the wrong person to ask, but I, I could tell you what I hear are our best dishes. Um, the Seafood Tower is a really big seller for us, and it's somewhat unique, and you sort of almost create your own. So that's a big thing. Uh, for the chicken people, the... Um, Burnt lemon chicken is a really great dish, which they've actually made for me kosher, and I can actually state that it is a really good dish. Uh, bone and ribeye is very popular, and in the from the fish, um, Bronzino, Charlie Gasparino has often said, we have the best Bronzino he's ever eaten, and I've gone out with Charlie, he's eaten an awful lot of Bronzino. So that's a really good endorsement. Um, we have some pasta dishes that I can tell you are spectacular, including a mushroom parpadel, which is off the charts. Wow, okay, well, I don't know about you, but I'm getting hungry. Uh, so, now Nelson, I know in addition to a restaurateur and understanding what that entails, you're also a business guy, you're a finance guy. What does it take to run a successful restaurant? So I got into the hospitality industry very much later in life and very much to the dismay of my wife. And 
and that's a really complex question because it's got so many moving parts. Um, I can tell you now that I, we opened in New York in a very challenging time, one of the things it takes to run a successful restaurant is a business-friendly city to exist in, which is a topic I don't know that you want to go to, but mm. trust me, it matters. Mm. Um, I'm sure. I, the, I guess the best way to look at it is to think of the word hospitality and what that means. And so you, you start with that, meaning you're here to provide by definition, it means you're working when everybody else is not. They're choosing to spend their free time with you, and you sort of owe them a certain type of experience. Um, I've often used the analogy, I feel like I'm throwing a party every night in my living room. And yes, I, people pay to come to my party, but I still want them to smile and laugh and whatever. Like, If it was only about the food, I would say then do a takeout place, mm -hmm. right? The food is the food. It's a given that the food has to be terrific. Just like being a good lawyer doesn't mean you're going to be successful. There's a presumption that you're good. It's more the other way around. If you're not good, you don't have a chance. Mm -hmm. Just like with a lawyer, you have to have personality and client relations and all these other things. Mm. It's true in the restaurant also. The food has to be a given. It's the beginning of the story. It's not the end of the story. Then it's a look. It's a feel. It's managing customers' expectations while you're also creating expectations. You want them to have a fabulous night. You tell them, come here, you'll have a fabulous night, but then it's incumbent on you to provide a fabulous night. Mm. So it's... So, so it's really a combination of things? It's a combination of a lot of things, mm. whether it's the dishwasher working fast enough to make sure people don't have to wait to be served, to the chef who's on vacation still having a kitchen that can make the exact product as if he was there. It's a, it's a challenging business. There's a reason most don't do well in it, but the best thing I could say is work off of the word hospitality. You owe the customers an experience. Mm. From the perspective of a customer, uh, a guest in the restaurant, uh, I can say that you get a certain feeling uh, in any restaurant when you walk out, uh, whether it's been a good experience, some combination of the food, the service, the decor, somehow it works uh, or it doesn't. Uh, but I can imagine that there are a lot of details going on in the background that make it work or make it not work. And uh, ha I guess I'm wondering how you oversee all those details or who, who, who makes sure that all those details are attended to? It's, it's more of an art than a science. Um, like I'm sure everyone uses the word vibe, but go, you can't point to vibe. You just either kind of know it or you don't. And you, and it's, are incumbent on everyone in the staff to know when something is off and when it's not. So it's a combination, everyone has to create it. So for example, our vibe here is we have a very gender neutral look and feel, which is a little unusual for what's generally thought of as a steakhouse. We also have a somewhat more diverse menu, let's call it gender neutral again, than a typical steakhouse. So on the one hand, we want it to be very upscale and stunning. It's, it, it's a very attractive space, um, but we don't want people to feel stuffy and uncomfortable. So you, we walk a tightrope of elegant and comfort, and it's not always so easy. Whether it's, a, I used to say that if somebody walks in here and says, uh, without a jacket, let's say, in the busiest time of year, it's fine, we don't have a dress code, 
but I'd like them in their head to think, hmm, maybe I should have worn a jacket, but it's totally okay if they don't. Mm -hmm. And it's a different feel at 10 o'clock on Saturday than at 7.30 on Thursday. It's a different crowd, it's a different feel, but just intuitively you have to know the vibe and what you're trying to create and are you actually accomplishing it. Mm. It's Anyone who works in the industry would understand that. I'm not sure if anyone who doesn't knows what I'm saying. It's like pornography. You know it when you see it. Mm. So as I'm just thinking as financial advisors, which is what we are, we start out with an objective, uh, whatever the client's objective may be, and then we try to set a plan to meet that objective, but we have to adjust it along the way because conditions change and so on. Are things, the way things panned out so far for the Hunt and Fish Club, was it the way you expected it to be on day one or have things changed, have you had to make adjustments along the way? Um, what's changed along the way, and I didn't mean for this to get political, yes, it's panned out the way I would have wanted. Mm -hmm. The clients, we've had very good reviews. We. I'm very proud of the product we serve. I'm very proud of who it is that's serving that product. And we've become a really good restaurant. When we opened, we were somewhat inconsistent. We were very popular, but we were, frankly, very inconsistent. Mm. When somebody, a friend or a family person would come to the restaurant, I'd keep my fingers crossed that they had a good time. Usually they did, but not always. But pretty much now they do. What's changed is the regulatory environment that we have to work in with costs going up in every direction simultaneously and quickly, be it real estate taxes, um, be it wages, which is a Brooklyn-born liberal Democrat I philosophically agree with. I don't philosophically agree that you get to more than double it in three and a half years and expect certain businesses to be able to absorb. It was just not thought out. I'm not against where the end result is. I'm against the process by which they got there. Mm -hmm. um, insurance. And, and none of these things have gone up a lot. So none of these things in a vacuum are objectionable. Doing them simultaneously and without regard for the impact on businesses uh, is the reason you see so many empty storefronts in New York and so many people hanging on and keeping their fingers crossed. So they've created a business-unfriendly regulatory environment which even the most liberal mindset would say, you don't want to do anything to kill jobs. Well, it, it, there are job killers. In 2016, for the first time in history in the state of New York, there were less restaurants on December 31st than on January 1st. I think they started keeping track of that since the late 1960s, so it's roughly 50 years. Mm. And it wasn't short 10 restaurants, it was short 530-something restaurants which if you take an average of 15 employees, we're a lot more than that. And I don't really know what an average is, but even using 15, it's over 8,000 jobs. So while the people who make these decisions may think they're doing common good, when there is no effort to create balance, then you're not accomplishing a meaningful objective. You're creating hardship. Mm. And it may sound good in election sound bites, but it does, it's not good. Mm. I don't know if you wanted the conversation to go that way. A but. Absolutely, and I can tell you for sure that uh, everyone that's listening to this uh, will give a lot of thought to the things you're saying and appreciates uh, your candor. So uh, with that, uh, I will thank you again, Nelson Braff of the Hunt and Fish Club, for your comments and your insights today. Uh, again, this is Speaking of Money with FCE Group. Thank you, Nelson. Thank you very much.